Welcome to the Pitching Nerd Show, where we get nerdy about the art of pitching. I'm your host, Sean Kitzman, a.k.a. The Pitching Nerd. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, Pitching Nerd crew? Before we start the show, I just wanted to let you know that Gary is uh, in the UK, and his internet was a little wonky on the day that we did the interview. So it dropped a couple times in the middle of our interview. We tried to uh, pick up back where we left off before. Sometimes it worked, and sometimes we're a little bit off track. But I promise you that this is going to be an amazing interview, uh, and I'm really excited to have you guys hear it and have get experience with Gary's work. So uh, we're going to get into the show. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Kitzman, a.k.a. The Pitching Nerd. Uh, today is episode 12 of the Pitching Nerd Show, and I am super excited to have on my guest today, my my teacher and mentor, Gary Ward. Uh, Gary Ward has created the Anatomy and Motion model, which is what I base my pitching model off of. And I like to tell people I don't actually have original thoughts. I just steal shit from other people, and I have stole a whole heap of stuff from Gary. So I'm so <laughs> excited that he's agreed to come on the show because... You'll notice that Gary is not from the States. You'll notice it by his accent. But he, I think that the model has a huge benefit to the baseball world. So, Gary, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Sean. Anytime. Anytime, buddy. Yeah. So, um, I met you, well, it'll be two years, three years ago in September um, mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And I was coming to Anatomy in Motion because I was coming to learn about the foot and the talus. And then about 20 minutes into the, the, the course, I recognized that I was A, in over my head, and then B, this was not just about the foot and the talus. We were going to talk about the rest of the body. So talk about anatomy and motion. What is it? You know, kind of, let's kind of just go into that, that there. Cool. Um, well, yeah, as you say, um, I'm just thinking, my immediate thought then was, what are the first 20 minutes? And of course, it's just introducing <laughs> some basic philosophy. <laughs> yes. Because uh, right off the bat, we've had to, um, I had to conjure up ways to help people think along along this way of thinking because the traditional thoughts just didn't seem to do, to do it justice. But um, up front, rather than ditch the old and traditional thoughts, it's, we're looking at the other side of a coin, which is how I put it in the in the in my book, What the Foot. Um, and so the two sides of the coin ended up helping me to break down a bunch of rules. So those first 20 minutes, I think we were probably just getting into into that space, weren't we? Yeah. So um, before we get onto those, if that's where you'd like to go, um, it's also to, to bring up front that if this is um, uh, the culmination where we're at now, I suppose, um, 15 years of, of continuously looking at human movement through the lens of the gait cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we walk, uh, how every footstep falls, uh, the outcome of a stride, um, and the outcome of a stride in, in your whole body, and breaking that down into um, what we teach is seven different moments uh, in a footstep. Um, and so if you go back to the original um, gate models uh, of Bleeming or uh, whoever, they, they have the, um, it's a very lateral view. So you'll see the heel on the ground, you see the foot go flat, you see the body travel over the top, you see the heel come up, and then you have the toe off, and then the leg swings through. Um, and it was uh, much followed and much adored and much <clears throat> revered. Um, and then suddenly somebody says, hey, there's more going on. 
uh, there's actually more mo moments in time where things change. And, and what I mean by things change is we're able to, um, through documenting the three-dimensional journey of every single bone and ultimately every single joint and overlay on that every single muscle and its response to three dimensions of human movement, we're actually able to uh, recognize that there are changes through the gait cycle if just one thing changes direction. That mm -hmm. becomes a new, a new conversation mm -hmm. um, for the next moment because all of a sudden you have a, a, a whole body shape change. And so um, the, the, the culmination, uh, I, I can only say culmination up to where we are today because we don't know what will change <laughs> as it evolves in the future, but the model, as you call it, is, is pretty fixed yeah. um, until we grow another limb or um, recognize that the scapula is going in the other direction to what we thought it was, which obviously we've... <laughs> We've hammered that for a long, long time. So it, it isn't going to change. The model that we've documented is, is is pretty much hard and fast documentation of how our skeletal system moves through a single footstep. Um, and I think where you're interested is is how it overlays into um, your sport, pitching, yeah. baseball. But obviously we see that it, it overlays human movement is human movement. So yes, sir. We, um, to, to, to describe that, uh, I think... It's worth saying that um, I have a, I've got a foot here, which is a useful thing. But and most people are used to looking at bones and stuff. But every bone has a, yeah, has a shape, right? Yeah, it's got a unique shape uh, where two bones come together. It's you have like a receptacle where one concave surface enters into a convex surface. <coughs> you've got flat surfaces. You've got three-dimensional surfaces. Um, and what those surfaces do anatomically is they physically decipher the movement potential at that space and so if you've looked at that for long enough and you can see that in the three dimensions of movement the only available movement is this 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 and this the next question is when do we do that sure um, and so we can see when when that talus slides down the navicular and we can see when it needs to slide back up the navicular and we can also then take the time to see which direction it's going in the other dimension and then the model grows and builds from just being a talus and a navicular to say, hey, well, when that talus moves and that navicular moves, then there's now an interaction thanks to the shape of the bone at the navicular and the cuneiform. And there's another one at the cuneiform to the metatarsal. And there's another one where it changes direction suddenly at the toe. And then you can start to go upwards. So now when I do that on the talus at the top with the tibia, never at the knee, what's the knee going to do? And um, pretty quickly, you can see how you go knee, hip, pelvis, lumbar spine through all the vertebrae into the c-spine skull scaps shoulder girdle down to the arms um and then every single one of those places that i just mentioned is limited to its own bony shape so go on yeah that that <laughs> that that one i mean gosh there's so many things to unpack in there but Every, you know, like you just said, like every, uh, every bone is limited to its own bony shape. That is such an important thing that I don't see, I, I haven't run across in 20 years of, of doing, you know, massage and correctives. And then really the, the only place that I run across this and people think I'm, I'm insane when I say this is jujitsu. It's the only place that I see people talk about this on a regular basis, because right. if you're gonna if you're gonna have a submission like like this this shoulder lock here, the best way that I do it is I just take all of the space out of the joint, so then the bone can't run any farther and the muscle tears. 
yeah, right? That's absolutely right. Or the bone breaks. I mean, that's one of the two things that one of the two limiting factors. And so I remember when I was in Vancouver and you were talking about it and I had this moment in my head. I'm like, oh, shit. This is I, just I, this is just judo, right? I think I think I remember that moment. Yeah, because I'm I'm it so a, it was a verbal moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm so introverted and I don't say anything about anything, right? No. So, so yeah, I think that that's a really and and the thing that I see in the pitching model um, where a lot of people get into trouble is a uh, so I've I've the reason why and you'll I mean you'll really kind of be able to probably speak from this because I know that you work with a lot of uh, or have worked with a lot of either footballers or, you know, soccer players. Um, the cleat, I think, is the limiting factor for baseball because people can't see the foot. So because they can't see the foot, they don't pay attention to it. They can't visually see what the foot is doing. Yeah, and so it's right. never occurred to them that it could be some, you know, a problem. <clears throat> so when someone's coming down the mound and they get that flat or everted foot, then the only thing that they have the option to do then is to get into internal rotation of the of the knee and then a a very quick internal rotation of the femur but also that kind of abd ducks at the hip and it just kind of jams into the capsule and then the rest of the upper half then has to become rotational and it's hard for people to understand that those joint surfaces if they don't line up at the right time it's going to really limit the movement that they have Absolutely. I, I think if you, if you just go back to the judo, jiu-jitsu comment, yep. um, what, what you're doing there is taking the options of movement away from the joint. So Correct. It, it, there's nothing left to happen but bad. Correct. Right. So all of your uh, movement eliminations are reduced if you don't have full availability of movement at the joints. Yep. If you, if you start to lose movement availability at a joint, then you're going to have to use other structures <laughs> elsewhere in the body more in order to compensate for that. Um, and, and I think where we might differ in, in is, is, is normally where we differ is just to turn something upside down. Um, and, and it's the idea that compensation can not be seen as a bad thing, but as a necessary thing. Sure. So you're going to overcompensate with rotation high up if you've eliminated the joint potential down below, whether it's because the foot movement doesn't have its potential, whether it's because no one's looked at it or whether it's you, because you put it on a downward sloping angle. Um, and brought up its movement there, you know, mm -hmm. any of those factors. But the clever body is its goal is to get the get the ball out of the hand and down to the uh, to the other end, right? Yeah. Um, and so it will do whatever it can do. And as long as movement joint limitations remain in place, it, that it will then start to formulate a habit and a way of doing that, which will then end up in in areas that are most stressed, mm -hmm. probably assuming normally elbows and shoulders yeah um, elbows you know, shoulders and the forces and oftentimes you see low back and knee as well um yeah. the first guy i i actually started working with he came to me with a little bit of medial knee pain um and we cleared that up i mean super quick for him just be just getting his his talus to just getting his foot to supinate and to be able to hold supination yeah you know well i think that's a perfect example because so a lot a lot of um it's a really simple thing to do as a coach is if you if you if you get the tools down is to be able to assess and observe someone's resting structure yep and because if you if the first thing you start to recognize is that you, is that that foot is a bit flatter then that knee is going to be a little bit more valgus which means it's a little more inside yep than it wants the patella might have rotated looking a bit more medially um, and now what's starting to happen is you you this is where we can bring up what we would have talked about in the first 20 minutes is 
is the in, of the of your course, not this podcast. Yeah. Um, is this idea that your your knee is now running towards the end of a spectrum and it's running out of room the more the more it rests valgus the less valgus movement it's got Mm -hmm. Uh, and weirdly even Mm -hmm. though it might seem like you've got a lot of space the other side of that spectrum to go to to, towards the varus space it's going to run out of that option as well and the reason being um, is because the valgus position is going to put length into tissue, which is going to eliminate that tissue's potential to actually contract. So resting valgus or resting medial with resting long tissue takes the uh, contraction potential away from that tissue. So um, that's when you can then see how the compromised structure will have that kind of more open sensation on mm-hmm. the medial knee. The tissue will have that more locked long tense what we call under tension uh feeling um and then and you can start to be pulling on those medial collateral ligaments pulling on acl um and and actually putting stress into the knee so the way to take the stress off the knee is is for it to be able to align itself and move from a more centered position instead of moving from an already uncentered position so if i'm if i'm already valgus and I want to go a little bit more valgus, it's going to create more stress. Yeah. Whereas what we would do, and the reason we do this, is our first rule um, is that muscles lengthen before they contract in human movement. And so while the, when the muscle's already long because of the valgus situation, in a nice quiet space where you can teach the foot to move a little bit more and the knee to move a little bit more, it, it gently invites the brain to recognize that what it has to do now is to contract that tissue in order to minimize any further movement into that dangerous position. Mm-hmm. So the contraction of the tissue is the first experience of extension and a varus movement in the mm-hmm. knee. And so is it the knee that's actually the problem? Or is it like you said, the talus, because the talus is the thing that's the stuck bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so a little bit of mobilization, a little bit of rotational work, considered work where you actually understand the mechanics of the foot joints. Um, is what's going to alleviate the structure, but also take the tension out of the tissues. So um, just to couple that before we move on with anything, the second rule of movement that we created is joints act and muscles react. And so I said often a lot of things flip upside down. Mm -hmm. So conventionally, we think muscles shorten. We don't need to lengthen them before we contract. What that means is that all movement when we're sorry all muscular contraction when we are moving and so you have to consider sporting activities as movement um, so less so than maybe a static gym movement Mm -hmm. but all movement um, the muscle is going to be contracting from its lengthened state never from its neutral resting state and certainly not when it's already short so we have to lengthen tissue in order to generate the contraction Um, And the second part of that is the way we do that is we move the skeletal structure into the shapes, normally the shapes that are guided by the gait cycle or a shape required by the movement, by the body in a sporting activity that will put that length into the tissue so that that tissue can contract, so that the skeleton can move back towards a more resting centered position. So I think you said something that was really uh, interesting that I'd like to kind of break down just for a second a little bit more when you talk about um the the talus and so for those of us who can't see the talus because you're not watching on on youtube um where your heel where your heel is or your your foot is and in between your foot and your shin is this little bone there that kind of rotates and it does a lot of stuff yeah. um 
So the the you said something that was really interesting. Um, <laughs> that it's so hilarious that I didn't think about this, right? Cool. Like like this is dumb. I've literally spent the last two years, you know, up to my eyeballs in baseball pitching mechanics, and you said something to me that I've taken into consideration, but I've never really thought about. Like like when you said it, um, that you know you you've got this foot set up on a slope a little bit, yeah. And so because of that, it's going to set it into a a disadvantaged position for what we're looking the upper for the upper body to do and then also because of the cleat with the cleat a lot of times you know the especially when guys wear the high tops it limits a lot of the movement that they have so they get stuck into that a little bit of the internal rotation of the talus and yeah. and that then chains up through the foot and the thing that I really try to get my guys to do so I actually preload them uh, or I preset them into uh, a, a supinated foot um, with three points of contact, um, kind of the way that Chris has taught in, in class one, that he taught uh, kind of how to find a supinated foot online, right? Well, yeah. that was, I was doing something like that already, but that helped me to clear it up some. And so we have a little bit of a varus knee or an external rotation pointing towards the second base. Um, so I set them into that because when they have more opportunity, I'm giving them a, a, the ability to stay into that external rotation for longer. Right, and it's funny yeah. because there's a big conversation around internal internal rotation of the femur and um, the 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 health of the rest of the upper half in baseball. And it, it struck me as I was listening to people talk about this. I'm like, well, you're trying to gain more internal rotation, but you're not talking about the other end of the spectrum, which is external rotation, Absolutely. which is which is what I'm trying to do. But anyways. Um, the 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 idea that the foot is slope you know is kind of already starting he's starting to fall down the mound already right mm -hmm. even when he's standing there so that that foot is already in a disadvantaged position for um, the ability for him to stay into that they call the base leg the drive leg to stay right. into the drive leg as long as he possibly can so talk a little bit more about like um, the that that just the beginning idea of that disadvantage of being on that slight slope and then what happens to the longitudinal medial arch or that arch in the middle of the foot and then kind of up from there so before just to you're you're you start on the top of the mound right yep for me to be clear yep um and are you you're going to send your drive leg forward and step into it uh yeah well so you they have a couple different ways that they'll they'll do it i actually start when I when I work with guys, I start them with no momentum whatsoever. So they they kick their leg up, right, and then as and then they go down the mound. So they pretty yeah. much fall onto their front foot and they're trying to throw a ball as accurately as they possibly can. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so that foot is it is going to be straight or turned out? Yeah, or? it's 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 pointing towards for a right-handed pitcher. It's pointing towards third. So it's pointing. Yeah, they're 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 uh, they're facing. Um, lateral yeah. to to yeah. to home. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 I'm drawing it out. Will I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sat here going. Probably should have researched a bit of pitching. Before That's all right. That's all right. I, it's okay because it's all anatomy. It is. Um, uh, and uh, yeah. So in essence, then, if they're pointing their toes towards third yep. and they're going down the hill, their 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 foot's going into an e an inversion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then eventually, what will happen is they'll they'll. Uh, They'll invert, well, they'll evert, right? Because they're they're coming down the mound, and then they'll they'll go into pretty much propulsion or suspension propulsion um, on the front leg. So they'll they'll go and kick off and and kind of go into the pro, uh, propulsion suspension phase. 
okay, for anatomy well, motion. The first, uh, so there, there are phases that Sean's um, bring, bringing up there. Um, suspension being uh, the phase where we describe the foot flat on the ground. Yep. With the bones of the foot pronating on a on a good tripod, and that's your first metatarsal head, fifth metatarsal head, and uh, the heel. Yep. Um, and and that's that's the bit that I'm playing with in uh, at the moment uh, conceptually here in in my head because of the slope on the angle. Um, in order to pronate the bones, a lot of people. Um, again, we're not not necessarily visual uh, here, but. If you, a lot of people to describe pronation and supination will take their hand mm -hmm. and play it flat and, we'll, and they describe a pronation and a supination like this and, and what I'm doing is I'm just rocking my hand like a seesaw or a mm -hmm. teeter-totter le left to right so I push my thumb down and the little finger comes up I push my little finger down and the thumb comes up um, and that we've always tried to get people to say to recognize that, that is an insufficient description of pronation and supination yes. because what, all, all you're actually describing there is eversion of the whole foot or inversion of the whole foot. And the problem is, is when you actually assess foot movement, is you're going to have parts of the foot that evert and parts of the foot that invert and, and then parts of the foot that evert, mm -hmm. invert again. So there's these um, what we call cogwheels, if yep. you like, where something's moving in one direction, encouraging the opposite in the next section, and then the, the third section. There's three sections we talk about in the foot, forefoot, rear foot. Uh, toes and so this opposition is hugely important part of um, of the movement and so to bring that oppositional movement about we have to assess the foot in three dimensions and that's why this hand gesture I'm giving is opposite to um, a, the uh, it's very far away from a useful pronation because we're now talking about one dimension of movement rather than three yes um, and the the idea of putting that foot down on a mound, I think, is initially is giving us that straight into um, one of these movements. Yes. So if I'm right-handed, put my left leg forward, facing the batter, and my toe out towards third, which is on my right-hand side. Yep. I've got a sense of putting my foot on the downhill slope and inverting that foot, yep. leading into my lateral ankle putting tension into my lateral ankle and the and the and the lateral leg and it's going to be a quick movement as i as i kind of spin over the top of it and mm -hmm. uh, and, and move around but what we often find is um, so if somebody's if somebody has a, everybody can do this actually and i often do this on uh, podcasts and stuff but if you if you're new if you if you were to stand up if you're a pitcher um, I can actually see it in the picture behind you on over your left shoulder of the sure. golfer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's Sam Snead. Yeah. <laughs> if uh, if you if you um, rotate your body to the left, mm -hmm. you're interested in that left foot. If you rotate your whole body to the left, and what you find is, and this is without effort, and this is without any conscious control. If what you find is that your big toe rises up off the ground your whole foot is now inverting. Mm -hmm. And what we can't say is it's supinating. But people will look down and they see that the arches come up a little bit, the legs externally rotating. This is not a supination. And the reason it's not a supination is because you lost that part of the tripod with the first metatarsal on the ground. Because if, if this is happening in gait, which it is, we yep. have a moment where the foot needs to begin supinating. So the muscles of supination start to contract. And what I said earlier is they contract when they're at length. And so what they're doing is they're contracting from a pronated position. Mm -hmm. 
when those muscles contract, they, we need them to contract in such a way that they also pull and hold the first metatarsal on the ground. Yes. Now, this is different from you pushing your first metatarsal onto the ground because that changes the foot shape completely. Um, we want them to actively pull without effort the metatarsal onto the ground so that when you're walking, those two points of contact at the front part of the tripod, the first and the fifth, maintain contact on the ground because that will now give you your external rotation in your rear foot, your extension and um, uh, of the knee with the external rotation of the leg, and then that lovely extension, abduction, external rotation of the hip that we all kind of crave for where mm -hmm. we've got nice glutes uh, active. Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. if if you just have the if you just have the rocker where the where the, the that leg comes off, what you end up doing is starting to move into that leg, drifting into the leg. I think you said that word earlier. Yep. We'll call that shifting, drift, yep. shift. Uh, same thing, uh, where it's going to naturally pull me mm -hmm. straight straight down that mound, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that, that's where I'm not going to want to fall into that because I'm going to have to somehow manage my mass to stay underneath it and propel the upper body over rather than the, the lower body over. Yes, um, and so. I'm trying to go through a process where I'm thinking somebody who has not had this supination instruction into their system is always going to have to battle that. The yeah, way to sure. minimize, minimize that mm -hmm. is either going to be uh, a subtle change in the way that the, the foot meets the downward slope of the mound, uh, which I'd have to play around with, but feels like it needs to go a little bit more forward. Yep. Um, and um, what what they'll often do is they'll bring the the lead foot forward and close themselves off more, so then they have more rotate. It would be more right rotation of the pelvis, right? Right. <laughs> so that then when they go to open yeah. up, they're not opening up as as far to their. They call it glove side the side that the glove side, so yeah. they don't open up as far glove side. And so um, that's one of the things. The other thing that they'll do, very interestingly enough, which which as soon as I tell you this, you're going to go, what the actual hell? Um, they, they will, so, you know, you have, yeah, right. They, you have the mound and then you have, they call the rubber, right? So it's that white piece of rubber yeah. that they put there. So most of the time, most guys butt their foot up against the rubber, right? And okay. what, what will happen though is a, some coaches will have them hook their heel on top of the rubber. Go ahead and say what the actual hell, right? <laughs> because that's like stop it. Yeah, yeah. So so they'll try and create this wedge here, yeah. which doesn't really do what they intend it to do, right? So they they'll have a couple different creative ways to get around it, but none of it actually satisfies the idea of like we were talking about keeping that foot into that supinated shape, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, by way of introducing. Um, such a huge conversation uh what what before you've introduced the what the foot's way of supinating the only way of the foot managing itself is through habit it's yes. through what's worked before yes um and so obviously countless pitches a day over how many ever many years probably from being a kid yep and what we know is that unless they've had an injury down there, very few people will have bothered to look at it. Correct. And, and if they have bothered to look at it, they've ended up on a wobble board. 
yes. make, making this movement yes. of inversion eversion, not of pronation and supination. Right. So, and this is not just baseball. This is all sports um, in the main, um, and all people walking around the planet. That with, the very few people are being taught to actually pronate and supinate the feet with good timing. Um, and even if people have got a good idea about pronating and supinating the feet, they still have the timing all about ass about face because they haven't got the the construct of 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 the timing through through the structure because it's grossly misinterpreted actually. So we're on a bit of a hiding to nothing when it comes to feet. So if you then start to take that habit that they've got and you subtly change it, and what what you'll be doing is you're subtly changing it. So taking um, we use wedges. I'm looking around yep. for one and surprisingly can't find one because um, they're everywhere in this yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> Holding doors open, <laughs> iPads stopping from falling backwards. Um, but also uh, we use them under the feet and we use them under the feet to influence, um, to influence movement, mm -hmm. but also to take that effort out of what it takes to make a supination because I'm really keen on that. If we go home trying to train our foot to supinate, we're not going to change anything. But weirdly, the habit stays exactly the same right. because you're not teaching it its absolute <clears throat> necessity. Right. And if you're not teaching its absolute necessities, you're not giving it a higher value or a higher appreciation of what a supination is. And so it just goes back to what worked before. Right. And so in order to make a difference in the human body, we actually have to communicate somehow unconsciously to the brain for the brain to go, do you know what? that works better than that dumb way I've been I've <laughs> been doing for 25 years and the brain doesn't actually have an ego this part of the brain I'm talking about so sure. it just does it it just moves towards it I'm going to move towards that because that is honesty that is truth integrity and it feels effortless it feels efficient um, and actually wow that I don't have any discomfort in my elbow and that ball went a little bit quicker yeah I like the the statement that the brain or that part of the brain doesn't have an ego because <clears throat> it's amazing when guys we start to work on just getting them into the shape a little bit more and they will they will I mean I've I've got guys that are pitching at the college or the the uh, the low professional level I had a guy mm. this week actually that I started working with and he went I I've never done that before in <laughs> like literally two throws right yeah well cuz we look yeah. at the we look at the video so I video it, you know, and I, and I do it on my iPhone at first just because I can slide back and forth and I don't have to throw in Coach's Eye. But yeah. I'll make whole videos on Coach's Eye and break down just the drive leg for them and, you know, send it to them. And yeah. But they don't – and I've got guys that, that I've just done one video for online, send it to them. I mean, you know this because this is th – these are a lot of your stories too, right? But yeah. I'm starting to experience this as well within the baseball world. I had a, I had a kid – I sent him a video in March, and then he sent me another video middle of uh, of May. He's up two miles an hour. His sequencing looks completely different. I mean, like he doesn't even look. If if you cut off his head, you wouldn't know it was the same guy, right? right. And and it's and it's out of just this idea of like allowing the body to do what it. It shouldn't do. And then the problem that people have is that we've been taught this model of like, oh, it takes so many bajillion repetitions to change the structure. And I love the idea that you said the, that part of the brain doesn't have an ego and it will it wants to do that. Yeah. I think if, um, and again, I, I try not to make arrogant statements. I hope, I hope it's not one, but most of the time, 
when we are trying to make a change to a habit, the 15,000 repetitions or whatever is probably because you're bumping up against that. It's taking that long to convince the brain of that being the useful way. Yeah. You know, versus it just happening. And I always say it takes one rep to change your life. Yeah. Like and that, that comes up because uh, people have always said, you know, oh, that's a great movement. How many reps and sets should I do? Right. Hang on a second. This is... <laughs> You just need to move that knee once and it have a corresponding output in all the other joints because now you've given them all permission to move differently. Yeah. You've had a whole body uh, a whole body override. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, and it, the, the point, you know, it's a great statement, one rep to change your life, but it, how long is it going to take to find that one rep? That's the question. <laughs> you know, it might take 20 years. Yes. And it, might, it might be that it might happen. I remember working with a guy under a tree in Hyde Park in London with it this guy um, and it was just a he was walked along and he was very heavy on his left leg so I put him on his right leg and got him to hide his right hip and side bend towards it and and he and, and, and that was him he's in a state of euphoria sure. <laughs> this has taken you know those things happen um, yeah um, and and then the other opposite happens too right? Right. it will it will take a long long time but that's because you're actually dealing with an individual um, and, and, and back to the 1500 thing even if you're doing the right thing at the right time um, they might they might have had an injury to another part of the body that actually says I know you want to do this at the knee but until you deal with this toe it actually compromises my toe more by letting you do that good thing right that's when as a as an investigator you start digging around the body to go what what is it that actually holding this back um, and then we start to understand a little more uh, how you know how the toe, you bump into a toe eventually going what have you done to this right. oh yeah stub I just stub that all the time you know stub it is to bang the, the end of the toe the yeah toe, the toe. yeah um, and uh, you know and that's when you start oh we'll gently pull that toe out and then all of a sudden the foot can move a bit more and then knee moves better and finally the brain goes that's what you wanted me to do my knee like that for and that's going to help now because I no longer have turf toe and then, and then the whole body can sign and move. So, uncovering what it is to experience that one rep is, is the large part, large part of the process. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting thing when you talk about turf toe, right? <clears throat> Even if they don't have turf toe, and you think about when the, as they're coming down the mound with that front leg, because people they don't mm -hmm. pay attention to the well, they pay attention to the front leg with with various interesting things, right? Um, the but the 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 idea that if they if they're coming down the mound with reckless abandon essentially not having any control over their 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 body mass and their arms go really long because they want to try and catch themselves create like parachutes right and all of a sudden now they're onto the because what happens on the front leg is it is it lands slightly flexed and then guys who really get onto their front leg well actually hyperextend and then they wind up going back to a flexed knee again, right? Mm, so mm. if you think about them coming down the mound well, and now here's an interesting thing as well. The less you stay into the drive leg, the, the less you actually get onto that front leg well. Because the pelvis doesn't, it, it doesn't ABD duct enough far enough from the drive leg and create the, the center of mass coming down far enough. And so, so, you know, if you think about what you're just talking about with that toe, just the toe itself and the cleat, think about how as that thing's as that guy's traveling down the mound super fast and he doesn't have any control over that front leg and that front foot, how much he's just jamming that yeah. foot into the cleat 
and creating yeah. all kinds of havoc. Well, there's probably a reason why your leg doesn't want to straighten out because it doesn't want to get onto it. Yeah, yeah. The, the foot, footwear is, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if they're properly fitted. I know uh, you talked about the high tops. Um, yeah. And Nike will have a huge amount of um, scientific input into because if you follow the science, they're going to tell you that if you minimize pronation, you're going to have less injury. Right. We actually know that to not be true. Right, right. Um, uh, just through years of years of evidence. Um, and so the shoe is doing one thing. Then we as practitioners are trying to encourage something else. Mm-hmm. The brain is looking for something completely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see how uh, how it all um, kind of spirals out of control. And actually, then you start to feel sorry for the players because they don't they don't know what's the right thing to do. Oh my gosh, they're really just looking for an answer. I mean, like that yeah. that's that's been and I've seen this for years with 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 athletes, you know. But <clears throat> it's really funny because. If you can have if you can have a conversation of it's it's hilarious when we talk about athletes this way but if you can have a conversation of empathy and compassion with them and just recognize like well yeah I mean I've got a guy right now that is he, he if he probably would have his career would have ended this year um, had he not had we not started working together and so um, he hit he hit a, a, a personal best the other day, um, and he just looked at me. He goes, he goes, I this I never would have thought that I could have gotten here so quickly because he had an elbow injury last spring during the season, mm-hmm. and he 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 looked at me and he goes, he goes, I was trying to figure this out, and this and this kid is a tireless researcher. I mean. Yeah. I, Every time I he, he, I work with him twice a week, and every time he comes, you know, he has he's we're having conversations, and I can tell he's getting deeper and deeper into his understanding, you yeah. know. But they're all looking for solutions. Yeah. Of course they are, yeah. B- because I mean, there's this narrow opportunity for them, right? At at also every level, by the way, you know, yeah. at, when when they're playing like uh, you know grade school or 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 travel you know sports or at the college level or the professional yep. level there's this narrow narrow opportunity so they yep. have to try and they're, they're looking for something they just don't know where to go yeah yeah um and it, it's interesting because you can't blame the people who are paid to look after them either no because they're they're doing their job and they're doing what they've been taught to do and they and and their understanding is as is as good as it gets yeah from what's available yeah um and i think a large part of what we would like to be able to do is to is to get into those places and help uh, those teams of people who are looking after people to be able to recognize that there is more to it that it doesn't just end at that point when all of a sudden you think what you're doing is not working and you don't know what's next so refer them on uh, and and we've talked about this on recent podcasts but you, you just end up on the uh, let's go towards surgery right direction. for sure yeah. Um, yeah and there's there's obviously so much more that can be done like, like you're saying um with with this guy pre-surgery even post-surgery if necessary um a lot of it is going to come back to recognizing the habits of movement that they're subject to not that they're choosing to do consciously unconsciously they might be choosing to do it but they're subject to that as a movement limitation overall add on top of that a highly stressful maneuver um, and and it, and it leads to injury. Um, uh, the thing I said the other day was um, that injury 
U plus rate of change equals injury. Yes. Um, and so the, there's U and your body and what the movements it's subjected to, that it's limited to, that it's organized itself to be able to do what you can. Uh, plus then you start adding high velocity movements, a mound, a clean, <coughs> uh, and all of a sudden all of these subtle changes amount ultimately to a problem. And then in soccer, it's a tackle yep. or a change of pace or an upgrade in intensity because you've qualified for the Champions League or... Yep. Um, you know, there's that rate of change coupled with your overall structure, your resting posture we began with, the habits around which you just walk to the ground every day. Um, those, those those things are locked in stone and you ramp up that rate of change and, and all of a sudden you're asking for trouble. Um, and then to go back to the standard kind of, well, I can see that that muscle's weak. We've mm -hmm. got to strengthen it. And what you're missing is that actually the joint movement which is a whole body thing by the way is responsible for that movement whether it's weak or strong and so you, you end up going they're doing the work that they were taught that they should be doing but they're so far away from what actually might be the person's necessary uh, trajectory for, for positive change well the funny thing about is <clears throat> this guy that i'm talking about i mean this this guy is i mean he, he's 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 a horse man i mean he's just <laughs> He's a physical specimen. He's got the ass of a horse. I mean, he's just—he's a physical <laughs> specimen. And it's—and he said he to me, talk about him like this. "Yeah, of course. Yeah, I say way worse things to him. You know, in—in in actual person, right? <clears throat> when when he first started, I've known him for a little while. When he when he went as we got to go on, and we kind of built up the relationship. See, the reason I work with athletes is I can just be my normal knuckle dragging self, and it's yeah. it's completely acceptable. <laughs> acceptable. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Normal people, I just can't deal with. Right. I've got my wife. That's about as yeah. That's about as normal as I can get. Yeah. So so, anyways, um, he uh, he said to me, he goes, he says, I've never actually been able to use my glute before. Wow. And. And he's and when we first started working, uh, there's a guy uh, that I work with down in um, Louisiana. Uh, you would I I hope at some point in time to introduce you and Brent together, um, at least Brent to your work, because he is so close in the pitching model to what we've done, what you've done with Anatomy in Motion. He just doesn't have the that curiosity about how everything else moves the way that you do mm. um but he's actually how i started to come across this idea of drive leg mechanics and then put the model on over the top of them so i've 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 taken anatomy in motion and then i've taken what he's done because he actually he has five phases to to pitching um right. and then i added the, the sixth phase of that preload phase on there um but when you know, there's there's just not a lot of lower body conversation that goes on in in the in the world about how the drive leg comes into play, and then because of that, you get these big strong athletes that are that I mean, they're in the gym, they're lifting weights, they're doing all the things that they should be, but because they don't have the understanding of how to use the leg properly, they just never get into it, and they never yeah. use their lower half. So some of the stuff that, that Brent has done is he's taken and he's put uh, he's broken some of the mechanics down so that they can learn to get into uh, propulsion better. Um, and so he's created like these little drills. And once I set them up and, and we kind of align the skeleton, 
these big strong dudes are like oh my god like four repetitions are like my leg is gassed you know because they're just not able they just never have had the correct alignment to use the skeleton the way it should be used yeah but it's it's being used in a in a minimal in a minimal way yeah um there's a a line popped in then that i thought was was useful it's the that idea that um if if your structure is compromised there's a certain amount of uh output that you can have yeah and then if if you operate and you push that harder and harder and harder you're just trying to get more miles out of a of a of an engine that's just not not going to give you it yes uh or you know pushing harder in an empty tank to get to the petrol station yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and uh whereas all of a sudden what you're doing is you're saying look this if we just take the valgus knee that we talked of earlier on the spectrum all of a sudden if my valgus knee i'm squatting on it i don't have a lot more valgus potential and I, i'm oddly i'm not really going to go and use that space right i also can't i'll push it out but if i push it out i lift my toe off the ground right like we talked about earlier in the in that rotational test um and and all of a sudden i'm caught between two problems if i want to push my knee out into a good place i lose my foot and compromise my ankle yep if I want to take my knee inside to give me a nice base, it, I compromise my knee. So I've got no movement. Right. Uh, to use the car analogy, I'm put, pressing the accelerator and the gate brake at the same time. Right. Um, and so all of a sudden, you, you, you put that foot on three points of contact. You teach the foot to move. You organize the talus better. You allow the knee mechanics to be a bit stronger. The muscles respond and pull that knee into a more centered position. The foot rests a little less pronated than it did. All of a sudden, they have this new scope of movement, and that will pull on muscle and allow muscle to contract, and pull on muscle and allow muscle to contract. And like you say, four reps, and and and, and all of a sudden they're gone. So, that you're, that all of a sudden you're upgrading the en- the engine, you're upgrading the capacity that can come out of the model, um, uh, or the specimen, the system, the structure of mm-hmm. the person, um, and then the potential is obviously what's kind of hidden away in there. And they don't. That's what they what they don't. People don't realize is that you, your potential is a, is actually not just injury wise and longevity wise, but what you can actually do is restricted or limited to the structure that you hold on. So the thing to do is not train harder. Right. And if we were training smarter, training smarter would be: can we just organize my mechanics better? Like, yes. They should be walking in on Monday morning, going, "My mechanics feel a little bit out." Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but you might. Yep. I'm ve- I'm always very curious as to how the hell you got here. And I'm always curious th- with that with everybody. So um, one of the things that I have always been, since, since I've really started to follow you, I've been, of all the things I'm really impressed with, um, is your innate curiosity and in how things move. Because people are like, how did you figure this out? I'm like, uh, this was not me. I, as much as I love human movement, I have zero capacity to, to actually ask some of the questions that Gary has asked to get along this way. So <clears throat> as we're looking at the foot and, you know, the foot is such an important part in every model that we kind of look at, how did you arrive to it? So how did you get to it? Because I think that that story is to me, and I think for a lot of people, just as fascinating as all of the last 45 minutes that we spent talking about actual technical mechanics. Um, it's, uh, the, 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 the true answer, although there's a story to go, but the, the true answer is I, I don't really know. I don't know what it is in me that sparked sure. 
you know, whatever it, it, it is, other than that word you used, which is curiosity. <clears throat> um, but I, uh, I arrived in a ski resort um, to work as a, mm-hmm. a technical ski boot fitter and was in, introduced to the foot, literally this model here that I've always used. Sure. Um, and you know how good they were because they had this model. Yeah. It's almost like this model gives you license to understand the foot better because there are, I see people turn up with foot models that don't move. Yep. They hold a weird shape. <clears throat> yep. Almost like people have built them to um, influence our thought around the shape it should hold. Sure. Rather than allow us to experience it ourselves. Um, and the, the, I guess the last part of that statement, as I say it, resonates with me because what um, I also was able to do was to experience movement myself rather than be told it's this do that so um these guys taught me about the foot my anatomy interest was peaked enormously uh not just because i learned about the foot but because we would make adjustments to someone's foot and then i I always say two things happened people would report less pain in their days skiing, not just mm-hmm. in their foot, but in their mm-hmm. whole body. So my back didn't hurt today when I skied, when mm-hmm. it hurts. I had dread going on a ski holiday because my back hurts type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second part was the the performance outcome. Like I've never skied better. So instructor said to me, what have you done today to make a change? And he's just like, well, I just got new boots. Sure. Um, and so I'm going, well, you know, you, you got new boots. And the last ones were probably four sizes too big. Funniest story was a lady who... Uh, she she was told by some Australian boot fitters at, at a car boot sale <laughs> <laughs> that they were perfect for her. Sure, but she could have put her her toddler in the same boot. You know, <laughs> <so good. laughs> um, but the uh, <clears throat> what we knew is putting a good size boot on was definitely beneficial. But what we also know that putting a, the right size boot on actually is painful for most people because their foot's in the wrong position. Sure. So we would have to organise the foot into a position that enabled it to fit inside the boot that was obviously neutralizing its mechanics more sure Uh, then we'd find that people had problems of pain and discomfort in certain areas of the foot and that's because it was too rigid so Mm -hmm. we would soften the the insole that we were making so it allowed movement um, and then started to recognize that this these movements were going on um and eventually uh my well, not even eventually, immediately the interest was peaked. So I, I, I did my personal training, sports therapy qualifications. Um, I, I, it, and, and it didn't, I even ended up giving uh, the guy who came to give us the foot and ankle talk, I ended up giving the talk. <laughs> <laughs> this was a guy who, and, and he was like, well, it was one of those kind of like, would you like to come and give the talk? And I like, actually, I think I probably would. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, that was me back in... Uh, I don't know, 2000, 2001. Um, and uh, arrogant little bastard that I probably was. <laughs> uh, but he did say to me, Cinder, that's, you know, probably one of the finest explanations I've ever, I've ever heard. So I knew I was onto something. Anyway, I kept, um, I kept working at the skiing and event- until the skiing, well, actually it was my body. I think the, the amount of discomfort I was having in my body from, from the, I mean, when you ski a lot and you live in the Alps and you've got a load of buddies who all ski really well, you end up skiing in dangerous situations. For sure. We were skiing off the cliffs. We were skiing in in the free ride parks and half pipes and just getting hurt a lot. Yeah. And eventually that took its toll. 
um, and led to me wanting to pursue more about the anatomy. So then now there's this kind of, wow, I, I actually need to help myself. Um, but of course, like everyone else, I would go to see other people to help me. Sure. And I started on this line of actually, um, can anybody actually help me? Like, sure. am I so stuffed? Um, <clears throat> and and so the, um, the, the integration over this time is that then I'm working with people and I'm looking at their foot and I'm looking at their body and I'm giving little talks to classes about how the foot helps this and how foot helps that and then piecing it together and back to that line, experiencing it in myself. There was a one osteopath. There have always been people on the way who would shed light and sure. open up doors. And um, I did courses, um, not many, not very many, because I would go to a course to find out how to do back pain, and then I'd come and apply it to my clients, and then it wouldn't work. The clients would have back pain, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was just on this trajectory of of, of doom. And it, in actual fact, what happened was, uh, as I was agreeing with people, I was disagreeing with people. Um, certain disagreements led me to go, I need to find out more about this myself. Um, can't find anything in books, couldn't find anything online. Um, and uh, I, I paused and kind of going, was there online back then? <laughs> but right. There was, there was loosely. Um, and, uh, and actually, if you think about now, now there's online. Yeah, and the amount of information out there, it, it, I wouldn't trust it. You know, with a barge pole, like, <laughs> my wife still Google stuff. Like, I think we'll Google that. I'm like, you don't need to Google that. It's just gonna, you're just gonna end up in a in a morgue somewhere if you follow that advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, eventually, uh, I actually blocked out all the incoming information. Mm-hmm. Um, we often joke. There's there's um, there's one biomechanics book on my bookshelf, um, and I've never opened it. It was given to me. <laughs> um, and so this just became a pure looking at the anatomy, looking at the movement. If I do this, what happens there? Build it up, layer it up. Um, and it was it was a mad out of curiosity. It was never to do anything. It was never to teach anything. <laughs> but eventually, we started to be people would ask, "Can you show us what you're doing? Can you teach right. what you're doing?" And I believe in that space. Um, I didn't. I, I guess originally I didn't consider myself the teacher or the educator, I was just the shower. Yeah. Um, uh, and after two days of kind of throwing everything I've got at, at these people, they kind of went, "Great, when's the next Class. level?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so uh, I was like, "Give me a month," and then just went away and looked a bit harder and yeah. looked at a bit more, and eventually, uh, you know, as they say. I believe I completed a 12-phase model sure. uh, about a year ago. Sure. Um, and I was on a plane in Australia when I, I kind of, uh, this piece dropped into play. Um, and if that was 20, at 19, early, uh, April 2019, 18, I can't remember. That would be 12 years that it took to actually find all the pieces of, of constant looking searching digging yeah. experiencing moving working of, with people seeing results yeah one of yeah. one of the interesting things that i really um i'm i'm a uh i'm a really hard person to satisfy in this context because for, you know in body work or massage or whatever it was i had a real hard time 
with the conventional thoughts. And as a matter of fact, I didn't even take a lot of CEUs or continuing education courses for years because like I just ran into this same kind of dogmatic approach. And the thing that always has the, 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 my, my best saving grace as far as looking at material and then looking at the person that I'm, I'm listening to and taking consideration as to what they're saying has been from training martial arts <clears throat> and the thing that i always look for in him in a good martial arts instructor is really tough to find in the rehab biomechanics you know body work because you have people that are on both ends of the spectrum you have people that are very technically sound but could not do anything that they're talking about and or you have people that are very good at outcomes but they don't understand how to explain it to you and the thing that I see that, that I really value about you, and, and with Chris as well, but with you, is that you have this really nice marriage of technical ability and ability to explain a very complex system and break it into bite-sized chunks so you can learn, so a person could learn it. I mean, when, I'm, I'm not, I tell the story all the time. Like, I remember day one, when I was in Vancouver, I was like, holy shit i am in over my head here like i like i and and i'm okay like saying it i don't i don't have a problem with it but like i remember looking at i chen and i was like how the hell has that damn guy figured it out like he just had got it you know i mean like real really it got it but 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 the thing that i knew that i could do is because i started to see that like you had given at least enough breadcrumbs along the trail <clears throat> that i could follow something so when i came back home Marcia said, she goes, well, what do you think? And I was like, well, well I don't know. I'm just going to try and get everybody to pronate and see what the hell happens. And that's all I did for the first three months. But it was yeah. the, the outcomes were so that they were so good and they started to become predictable. Right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the thing that I, I really uh, value and admire about the way that you've kind of put two things together is that there's this very technical bent to it that you can definitely jump down mm -hmm. the rabbit hole. In yeah. the beginning, for folks who don't have that background, it's you can hang on that biomechan the, the outcome-based idea, and then eventually the outcome will drag you over to the technical end, yeah. and 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 then and also like I think I see too like Marsha because of working with Katie Bowman has a little bit more of a biomechanical model than what I started with. And so she came more from a biomechanical model and has drug her over to the outcome, you know, like, so there's this yeah. really beautiful marriage back and forth. And yeah. how you have people, well, not, a, uh, the, the the funny thing people ask me, like, well, how do you know that you're, you know, that you're doing something that a lot of other, not a, that not a lot of other people are doing? I'm like, well, there's 935 or maybe a thousand people in the whole world that have taken this course. And I've had enough conversations with most of them that I know that nobody else has done this with baseball. Yeah. But th that's also when you know that you've got something that's good is because you can apply it to a wide variety of contexts and there's there's overlay in each of those things. So so that curiosity that you have to to kind of like go back and forth is 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 a really interesting thing and if any if people watch the courses like the online courses or if they take if they take your class, that's what I think that they will see as well. Like they will see this curiosity of like, oh, well this person's got a shape that I haven't seen in a while. Let's see what happens with it. Let's mm. let's experiment. 
Let's try this on and see what it feels like. It's always um, loose to think of your patients as an experiment. But <laughs> that, I, what I like. I, I had a client last year she we were sitting down and I was I was like well let's see let's let's see what happens when we try this and she looked at me she goes that's all you do is experiment all day isn't it and I was like yeah is it I was like I said yeah isn't it great it's so much fun you know? I always use the phrase see what happens um, which yeah you just you just use perfect so, you, uh, so yeah so you were saying I'm, about experimenting yeah um, I, w- I, w- I made notes to I know exactly what I need to say <laughs> So I always use that see what happens line, which is that general idea that it, as long as we've got a, a context, uh, it's okay to use the concept of human movement to observe that you make an input and you don't actually know what the outcome is going to be. And, and I think if you're not okay with that, this is an uncomfortable arena to work oh, in. Oh, for sure. But if you're okay with the idea that it could get better or worse, yeah, then that that's that's what you're going to do. At that point, you're not afraid anymore of, of, of the paradigm that pronation is bad, that a valgus knee is going to rupture an ACL, <laughs> that, that there's such a thing as bad posture. And if, if you live by those rules, then what's happened is through biomechanics is, has always been create strong and stable columns. Yes. Without any consideration of how we're supposed to move around those columns, yes. because to to move around a column is inevitably to access a bad posture. Yes. But if we take the bad posture away, then we're only going to try and we're going to struggle. So the whole idea of being stable, having stability, walking around on a supinated foot, rigid foot, your body is going to find the ways around your tactics, and it, it it's doing that because it knows it needs movement to generate overall movement. Yeah, and so we find these ways. We compromise ourselves, and all of a sudden, we have discomfort. And our only thing we can go back to doing is the stuff we've always done, which is to stabilize. And and you go, but my brain without the ego is trying to do absolutely everything it can to go against what what you're doing. So that was our that was our solution. We found a problem. We had a new the same solution. We didn't have a new solution. Right. So when they come, they come to you and they go, I've never felt my glute before, it's actually because you put in a new solution. Yeah. You just did the obvious thing. You probably went, I'm not going to lie you on your front and get you to extend your hip. Nope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flex it. Yeah. And they go, no one's ever told me to flex it because they said the valgus knee was bad yep. and pronating the foot was bad. And so <laughs> you, that's where we just flip that upside down thing. Um, and the see what happens is I'm comfortable. I don't mind if the shit hits the fan right. or if there's a good outcome here. I'm, I'm interested in your anatomy. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your outcome. And that's why I'm going to do it. Because I yeah. want to find the right thing for you. Yeah. I mean, when, when I work with people and I, you know, I'll say, well, walk around and, you know, tell me what you notice, you know, and nothing's in, nothing is an acceptable answer. <clears throat> and they'll come back and they'll say, well, I didn't notice anything. What should I notice? I don't know. It's not my body. <laughs> when we get to something, you will know. And, and, yeah. and, you know, it might take three or four tries or five or six tries before we get something. And yeah. then once they get that thing, then it's all over because yeah. they've had their own personal experience. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing when I work with guys. There's predictable things that people will say when you get them to pronate or supinate. Like there's predictable things that they'll say. But, and with, within this pitching model, there's predictable things that they will tell me as we go along because the other thing too is as, as athletes athletes aren't actually encouraged about in talking about their body 
Because the more that they talk about their body, the quicker that they get on the the injured list, right? So they're not they're wow. not they're not encouraged to talk about it. You know, well like, oh well this doesn't move. Because if that doesn't move, then what happens? Oh man, then we gotta do something with that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh, that could be that could be dire consequences, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so when they when they get this opportunity to talk about like, oh well, they you know that felt better and they're also not encouraged to like dig into what that means so you know the next question is well what does that mean to you and then you can start to see things just kind of come together in their head and start to coagulate into Mm -hmm. this idea that's uniquely their own because it's their own body yeah what you're you're entering into the idea that we have a um a a, a dialogue in in therapy yes um and where the, when the dialogue is missing is when the therapist is there, the all-seeing eye who knows exactly what they want and need, and I'm going to do this and you take it and, and carry on. Right. Whereas in the dialogue space, you're the therapist who goes, I'm, like you said, it's not my body. I'm not in control of this. Right. You are. You are. I'm going to, I can see what I say, describe as shining the light on the dark spaces. Yes. Is I can see through a model of how to look at posture and to assess gait and, and to hold a knee in my hand and assess how much range there is or uh, or a foot and then I can see where you struggle with movement and so now we're going to put if you've found four places you might be able to tie those four places together into a part of the gait cycle which is a very common thing that can happen yep and all of a sudden you you recognize why that elbow hurts at that moment in time in, in the pitch for instance yep um, and then to be able to start well, well we'll use this movement to reintroduce that forefoot motion that's struggling that knee movement that's struggling that hip movement that's struggling and that neck movement that's struggling and then and then you the brain kind of goes oh why didn't we do that before yeah uh, and then see what happens um, and see what happens it can go off on a journey where those things start moving and the real problem shows itself oh for the sure those things start moving and they just and they feel great yeah uh, those things start moving they feel great the real problem shows itself a bit later hopefully you've built enough trust for them to go yes not to go hey sean fucked me up but yeah. hey, you helped him yeah. up last time yeah yeah time. yeah so <laughs> um, why did you why did you choose gate how did you get to that what what was the and i think it's brilliant by the way but like wh- why did because it's so well, first of all, people ask me about it all the time. Like, well, do you study people as they're walking? I'm like, well, yes and no. I mean, the, I remember going to a course with a bunch of brilliant people in the room, by the way. Like, the people that was in this course. And we had a gait assessment. And it sounded like third graders looking at... or five-year-olds talking about Santa Claus. I mean, like, the ideas of how all of this happened were so not even close to similar. Oh, look at his foot and look at his head and look at his elbow and look at his hip and look at, you know, his 75th chakra. And I mean, like the shit that they would say was so far out of context. So, um, so how did you get to gate? Because that's, it's, it's the thing that we do the most, but it's also the most complicated because of that. Um, <clears throat> I remember watching somebody ski, sitting on a chairlift, watching a person ski down. And I, and I kind of went, that, they look like they're walking down the hill. <laughs> Um, running is, was advanced walking football is you know running um, and as I was in because I did a lot of study with um, Paul Check when I first uh-huh. started uh-huh. personal training so um, what you ended up doing as you went along the well even if you even if you were just to buy get into his book how to eat move and be healthy yep 
um, you realized that what, what he was doing was building you up towards the capacity to be able to walk. So then you were lunging with three-dimensional movements. Sling systems were knocking around at the time. Sure. I do feel like a lot of new entrants into our industry don't really know what a sling system is. Sure. Uh, but they have been introduced into um, more into an anatomy trains type yep. of angle. Yep. Um, Gary Gray, godfather of gait, was very much about gait. So one leg, one leg forward and one leg back. The crazy um, thing with Gary Gray is that I lived in Michigan. I lived three out two hour and a half to two hours from where Gary Gray was. Right. Nobody. Nobody. I, I don't know a person in, in 16 years when I was in Michigan, one person, that actually had trained with him. Uh, like, that guy was two hours from me. If I would have yeah. known, like, he was that close to me, right? <laughs> and and it was crazy. I mean, it's craziness. So, anyways, you're talking about that. It's such a weird thing. Like, I hear I hear him brought up with people that are outside of this, the state that I lived in for 40 years of my life, you know? And, you know, you're on the other side of the world, you know? He used to would come to do uh, fit pro, probably travel to do fit pros in in bigger cities, sure. ra- rather than you know down the road where you are. Yeah. Um, but you know there was this gate thing going on. Sure. Um, and I met then a guy called Hamish Wolfenden, who's sadly no longer with us, but he, uh, I still have an original drawing of his of his uh, here in front of me, um, and it was his original interpretation of. Um, of of the flow of motion model line, ah. um, and he called it uh, braking, suspension, locking, and gearing. Okay. Uh, so he was very cars. Sure. Cars type of yeah. So he introduced me to the force plate. He used to. He was also when I was fitting ski boots in in Meribel in France. He was fitting ski boots in Val d'Isère. He used to write for the Daily Mail ski magazine. And he was a bit of a guru in the ski boot world. Sure. In London, he had three shops fitting shoes and uh, ski boots and building the orthotics. And uh, inevitably, we bumped into each other. Um, and he was stood behind me. Uh, and I hadn't worked out how to approach him and talk to him. But he was chatting to a really good friend of mine. Um, and he said, I think that the ski boot needs a different flex point. Uh, and my, my friend said, oh, that's interesting. And I turned around over my shoulder and said, that would have to be at the big toe, right? And he turned around and he went, holy fuck. <laughs> I don't know anybody else in the world who would actually say that. That's that, super that cool. got us into this engagement. Yeah. And um, we, some people who might listen to this, they'll, you know, they will have been present at courses that we taught together. I, I was thinking earlier, like you would have laughed at our original courses. They were, they were just throwing shit at a wall and yeah. trying to mop it up and getting people to experience movement and learning on track and sure. his, his four things that he had that he looked at um, he had not attributed to the whole body so uh-huh. I was able to pretty quickly just go look when this is happening in your breaking phase look at this is the position when this is happening this is the position that means the pelvis is that and he was like whoa um, and he had one of the, and we had one of the, we just sure did that with each other so so then the, the the model was born. Um, I remember teaching and describing the journey from suspension to locking, which you'll know as suspension to shift. Yep. And as I was having the person just walk through that moment, I kind of just went, boom, that's transition. That's that's there. Talk about locking. What is so when he when he when he was talking about locking and that suspension? I, I, I don't know why he called it locking. 
Well, there's an interesting. There's there's an interesting because you said to do with the fourth and fifth metatarsal, I think. Yeah, there's there was something that you said that was really interesting in there because I see it in the in pitching, right? So, um, when when a guy uh, gets when he's drifting or in shift phase down the mound, and um, even if he has so the thing that we look for is I look for a vertical shin. Um, as he's coming down the mound because that allows him to start to really healthily ABD duct the pelvis so that he can get out onto the front leg. But there's this really interesting thing that happens because what, what will happen is that he will, the as as they come down the mound, they kind of start with a, a, a tilting back towards the, the second base or the drive leg just a little bit. And then if they're using the drive leg well, they'll go, they'll go from tilting to vertical and then come out, right? But there's this really interesting thing that'll happen because they will, they will get into a locked hip even if they have that vertical shin. If, um, if that, that, well, if the, if the femur starts to internally rotate a little too quickly, and then they'll kind of stall here. And though it's the right, the shin is in the right place, the pelvis at the hip isn't moving well. And one of the, the guy that I work with a lot, the thing that has happened for him this spring is that he's actually started to get transverse plane movement of the femur at, at, the, hip, at the hip joint. So it's an interesting mm. thing because you say shift and lock. And those, I see that happen with people that they're doing the right things, but it's not actually happening well. And it's something that I saw for a while, but I haven't actually been able to reproduce until this spring with a couple of my guys. Interesting. I, I think the lateral column of the foot there, the fourth and fifth metatarsals articulation with the cuboid. Yep. Um, is that ultimately that will generate that extra amount of rotation, the external mm, rotation of the femur. Yeah. That will give you more rotation towards that leg with the pelvis. Yeah. Uh, and actually help you to extend the knee properly with a with a kind of an internal rotation rather than the hyperextension of the knee, which would still that you mentioned earlier yeah. that would still be an externally rotating knee on a pronating foot with no need to move the fourth and fifth mets. Yeah. So uh, I'm wondering if that I, I, it's a long. I'd have to go back a long, long way, and also uh, I can't ask him. Uh, sure. Sadly. Right. So yeah. uh, locking is. It, I, I turned it to shift phase because I see the, cur the curve changes at that point, as you know, yes. and starts to make its way back across the foot. And a lot of biomechanics papers will say that the foot's repronating at that point, yes. which that would turn it into a my type 2 pronation, yes. which we obviously don't want because it takes all the abdominal load out of the system uh, with the pelvis rotating the same direction then as the rib cage. Yep. Um, and so that line going across is actually the, the, the center of mass of the pelvis journeying away from that foot in order to bear weight on the other leg. So it's a really key moment. We don't want to get trapped in there. We call it the leap of faith, which is actually where the center of mass leaves the foot, leaves the base of support, and is basically, it's like jumping off a cliff. Yeah. And ho hopeful that there's a leg there to catch it as you re-enter a new base of support. So, I mean, uh, the, this conversation is really cool for me for a variety of different reasons. A, I don't get a chance to talk to you like this so this is really cool for me, right? So, so that's a really cool thing because you just, I mean, you know, like unless you live down the road, we just don't have this opportunity. Um, nice. B, um, it's cool because I get to expose you and your work to a whole different population of people who never would have seen it before. But lastly, there's these really interesting things in here that you're talking about. And it's so funny because 
Human movement is human movement. So you just said something about the rib cage and the pelvis going in the same direction and then the load on the abdominals. Now, there's this, there's this shape that I'll show it to you because everybody in the baseball world will know what I'm talking about. Where what, what they want to have happen is they want the pelvis pointing towards home and then the rib cage rotating towards second, which is exactly almost what you were just talking about, right? So, so they call that hip to shoulder separation, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. that happens in shift. And then as we start to get into a little bit more propulsion, right? As you start to get onto, so it's really interesting that like, even within you not understanding anything about baseball biomechanics, you just gave something that the baseball world absolutely covets and craves. Like you, like you have no idea. That is the, there's a couple buzzwords around baseball. Hip to shoulder separation is one of them. And you just accidentally talked about it. <laughs> I'm just going to choke <coughs> on my own giggle there but I think what I want I, baseball doesn't have its own biomechanics no <laughs> but they think they do by the way they think they do uh, yeah uh, bless them golf doesn't have its own biomechanics no. neither, neither does skiing the, 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 the reason that we I, I've often mused over this but the reason that we actually play the sports we play is because of our biomechanics. If they worked differently, we wouldn't be hitting a golf ball the way we hit a golf ball. Sure. We wouldn't be swinging a bat or pitching a ball the way we, we do those things because we can. Yeah. And the way we can is because of the biomechanics, which is actually down to the joint surfaces and the movement permissions we talked about right up front. So hip to shoulder separation, that that's, um, is, 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 is basically a transverse plane, a rotational plane yep. movement, which, um, your left shoulder would be going backwards while the right side of your pelvis would be traveling backwards. That's your pelvis rotating right, yep. your ribcage rotating left. In walking gait, bar a very, very, very tiny moment in time, which is the exchange between the, the timing of the arm swing and the foot, foot changing, it's uh, going from front toward back, the, um, your pelvis and your ribcage will always be opposing each other. They'll even to a point where they will oppose each other until they become level, but the direction of movement is not static at that point. They're still opposing each other to yes. go through that static moment. So we have that spectrum and there's a center point in the middle and we never, movement is not to get to the center point and be still, it's to, to go through it. Yeah. But while the pelvis is going to the right, the rib cage is going to the left, the abdominals, so if I'm going to the left, the external oblique on the left, the internal oblique on the right are lengthening to allow an appropriate amount of rotation then contracting to cease that movement and continue that single contraction that's available to bring them back towards each other go past the midpoint and then all of a sudden as i go past the midpoint the other direction my left internal oblique my right external oblique and not to forget lats and glutes and sure. rotational systems on the back as well um including pecs and you know blah 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 yeah they're all perfectly set up to manage this amount of movement. Problem you've got uh, might be that, that a person stands in front of you with a left rotated pelvis um, and a right rotated rib cage. And what they've done, if I do that in my body, left rotated pelvis, yeah. right rotated rib cage, my <coughs> left internal and right external obliques are, are, are now long. Mm -hmm. and just like we talked about with the knee earlier, 
they're going to struggle to contract now because I'm in a fixed position. They're going to struggle to contract and pull me back out of it. We know that because if they could, they would, because and that would enable them to be in a more restful space. Mm -hmm. But if I'm then going to go and do that movement more and more and more, I'm going to be compressing something somewhere or adding increased tension somewhere because that movement limitation has, has, has gone. Now, people will spot that. You're going to spot that in sure. your in your player, and and the the obvious thing to do is to go well. The right side, left internal and right external is long. Right internal, left external is short. So we're going to stretch that one, <laughs> and we're going to strengthen strengthen that one. Yeah, yeah. And now, and that's the, that's that's the game. Yeah. So we're going to get onto the cables and do some wood chops, and we're yep. going to lay on a ball and stretch this guy out, or we're going to sit there with a pole and rotate our put some length into there. But you're going to stand up, and the reason you hold that posture as you go for a walk out the gym, pay your session and say thank you very much, <laughs> is is walking you straight back into that rotation yeah. and limitation. Um, and so what you start to find things like, well, the left foot's different from the right foot. Um, a shoulder injury, uh, a hip injury, uh, a sprained ankle. I choose to prefer put weight on my left foot, not my right foot. All of these things all of a sudden are in play and, and stretching that, that tissue out is going to do jack shit. Yep. You, you have to get down to, the, to the, the real deal, which is to find out why they're in that position in the first place. And then all of a sudden, you can start to unravel the problem, start to come across some solutions, give some movement pattern work that is not stretching and strengthening orientated, mm -hmm. but joint surface movement orientated. So that the brain with no ego can start to go, that that starts to make sense. And they begin to return to center. So that rotation that was in starts to level off as the left and right internal oblique begin to balance out and the right and left internal oblique begin to balance out. Joints act, muscles react. As if I can get the pelvis back to the center and the ribcage back to the center, all of the muscles, and there's muscles in your, in your multifidi, spinal erectors, traps, rhomboids, lats, pecs, pec minors, uh, your obliques, as we've talked about, QLs, even then psoas, which is going through the pelvis, down onto your glutes, because uh, that rotation will change the rotation of your hips, and all of a sudden you're into, into lateral leg tissue, medial leg tissue, down to a feet that, if you can change, you can worry about all that tissue, like how much tissue do you need to stretch? How much tissue do you need to strengthen versus, let's just organize the bones. Yeah. And I think that you know, people listen to that and go, that kind of makes sense. But I don't think it really lands as to how much pressure is taken off. Sure. <laughs> we, can, we, can just, we can do something. How many exercises would it take to stretch uh, all of those tissues appropriately <laughs> right. and strengthen all the opposite tissues right. appropriately versus just teach the body to find a centered position by organizing the joint surfaces better? And that for, that for me has all, always been, been the game. Then when they're centered and they next go to throw, they've got that movement available that they couldn't access before. Now yeah. they can load that tissue, which is to lengthen it, generate a contraction, and it will contribute to a better, um, a better contraction back from the separated position towards a closed position, so that you can propel, you can propel that ball. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because once I started to remember, well, once I started to figure out like bones, uh, you know. It, that it, it's so much it's just a simpler conversation and i was i was talking with a uh a, a pitching coach the other day and we were in a bit of a a disagreement um and he was trying to talk to me about like this cookie cutter approach that i was attempting to lay on 
all these pitchers. And I'm like, well, everybody has two arms, two legs, and the skeleton, and all has to do the same thing, right? I mean, like everybody has two arms, two legs, and a head and a spine. Like there's certain things that should happen in sequence. Yeah. You know, and and now what what makes a guy different is going to be personality, is going to be uh, difference in limb length, um, ability, strength. Some of those things are going to change that, but that doesn't change the fact that his knee should internally rotate at this time. Yeah, like that's you know, I mean, it, it's, that it's was, so. So this is the cookie cutter approach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I find that I actually find that fascinating. But um, to echo what what you're saying, I've always it's that idea that because um, people will challenge again. Not everyone's pelvis is the same. Right. Shallow, deep, big, small. Right. More like a chimpanzee. Right. Less like it, you know. <laughs> um, uh, really. Um, I'm totally fine with that. I get that everybody has individual, but does that person's hip, because of those shape differences, need to do anything different to anyone else's? Because if you break it down, it needs to flex, extend, adduct, abduct, and internally and externally rotate. And so what if we just gave that person the best experience of the of those movements? Yeah. Not just at the hip. Yeah. But when when I flex it, how does that because that knee, what we also know about that knee, which might be different, it might have a bigger medial condyle than the lateral condyle on that person versus this person, is they're still able to flex extend it and internally externally rotate it. Yep. And so what happens when I flex that hip? Which one of those movements is necessary? Can I add a contribution to that as well? Yep. Or do it standing up. So now where do do I need to weight bear in my forefoot or my heel? Do I need my talus to go internally or externally? And then you couple it all together. Um, and so regardless of anybody's actual anatomical shape, they all still need to be able to experience both end ranges of their movement in all three dimensions. And what we know through the gait model is that in a single footstep, and that is getting from heel to toe, is that every single joint in the human body needs to go through both end ranges in all three dimensions. And that footstep is going to take somewhere between 0.6 to 0.8 seconds, which is why I was smiling when you were talking about people having all the, the opinions of, about gait. Yeah. Like, how are you supposed to see and observe all of that on a treadmill, even with a camera? Like right. You have to have a lens that you're looking through that is not looking for stuff that people have necessarily said, oh, look for this, and this means that. That's actually a cookie-cutter approach. Right. This is to go... This is what actually is happening. This is what's actually happening. And I can safely say that that knee is not extending and it's not internally rotating and that that heel is not inverting and that pelvis is not rotating at that moment in time. Blah, 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 blah. But if I get him to grip his hand right. to put some uh, stability into that fractured wrist that right. he had when he was 11 years old, look how it changes. Right. And if you, when you start to make connections like that, that are, that are genuinely full body, and you see when I take that laxity out of that wrist and he starts to weight bear on that left leg better, now you know you're not worried about working on that left leg anymore. Right. You, you're drawn into that wrist. The interesting thing, so again, I, I, earlier uh, I spoke about kind of the parallels between Brent and, and what he's doing down in Louisiana and, and, and what you've done with Anatomy in Motion. Brent said something really interesting to me when I was down there. He said, 
And it, and it was hilarious because when he said it, I went, oh, shit, this is, this is so good. It's not even funny because the parallels are so close. He said, you're on the drive leg, so their base leg, for 0.6 to 0.8 seconds. Oh, did he? Yeah. We must have just went out of gas after that time. Yeah. <laughs> like, take me off the ground. <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, like, you're, it, the thing that I try to explain simply to guys is that, look, your feet – um, are they're actually a catcher's mitt because they're catching you from falling flat on your face. Nice, yeah. So, so now what we have to recognize is that your, uh, your ability to go from point A to point B, you're just taking a step. Yeah. Those rules are all still going to apply. Yeah. And, and they're on the, and the, and the reason why that, that Brent, had this idea of like really focusing on the on the front leg i'm sorry on the back leg or the drive leg is because you're on the front leg from the time that foot strike happens till the time the ball releases like 0.1 seconds Mm. now i'm not good at math but i know that 0.6 to 0.8 is a hell of a lot longer than 0.1 and then (laughs) and then what happens with the ball and the arm is because the arm is so it's open chain there's nothing you can do to influence it once Mm -hmm. you're if you don't influence the close chain Mm -hmm. right yeah. And so, like, I have a guy right now um, that had Tommy John. We've had two sessions. We've had one session together. And now this guy's a freak athlete. I mean, like, you know, he was drafted straight out of high school. So to, to, go, to go play in the minor league level, right? I mean, like, he's a freak athlete. He organizes so quick it's not even funny. I mean, it's, wow. it's almost not even fair, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but when we were kind of working through this and I was working through the, 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 the pitching model that I put together – his arm path completely changed. Now, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But, I mean, the difference in the way that he is organizing his structure, it's, it's incredible, you know? And it's, and it's really just because we're, close, we're changing that closed chain. We're changing what the, the drive leg is doing and giving him more opportunity to get into the correct sequencing pattern. I mean, mm. it's as simple and as complicated as that. I want to like, add, add something as I'm hearing you talk is, the thing about uh, gait walking as a, as a medium of study <clears throat> is wh- what we're looking for is movement in every single structure, mm-hmm. every single joint in three dimensions, blah, 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 as we've already said. Um, and it turns out that the only shapes that we can actually make when we do move all of them together are the shapes that the model determines. Sure. And so the only way... What, what I mean by that is we can actually define a whole body pronation when the foot pronates, mm-hmm. a whole body supination when the supination, when the foot supinates. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a movement here equals movement there, 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 and there. Mm-hmm. But to not, to change those shapes, to move in a different way can only happen if you eliminate movement from one spot and increase it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so back to that original um thing that we said earlier which was uh, um, that we eliminate options in our body and have to then find ways to move around them if you start put giving those options back you reduce the shape possibilities yeah and so for his for his um, arm what did you call arm it path. arm yeah. path yep to, to change is 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 because you're now giving it's now having to do it's got a completely different job it probably needs to do a lot less and therefore can find its more efficient pathway yes because everything else is doing more so the shape but Still, that like baseball it, it, it is not a hundred percent walking. Like you can say, you can see aspects of it. It's Correct. Still limited and dictated to by joint surfaces, 
But in order to do those things, there are there are going to be parts of my body that I have to move less and others that I have to move more. Stuff that I have to slow down sooner so I can speed other stuff up, blah, yeah. blah, blah. That's just the, 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 the game. That That's just what it is. And as you're looking to build a model of pitching, you'll be able to start to dictate and describe, define what, what those areas are. So I have a... Areas to look at. I, I, there's a... Uh, it's out in my garage. I should have brought it in. Um, I obviously didn't have enough co- coffee because I forgot my foot model and I forgot the ball in the garage. You know, I needed more <laughs> coffee this morning. So, um, but there's a ball now uh, that's called, it's called, uh, the ball's called Diamond Kinetic. It's called the Pitch Tracker. It's by this company called Diamond Kinetics. And it gives us data. Wow. And so now. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but, and that's something the baseball world loves, right? So the, the beauty of this concept of the pitching nerd um, is that baseball loves data. It is probably the most data-rich sport across the board in its in the way that it has for the length and period of time of the game, right? <laughs> 1910, they're trying to track statistical analysis as to why this guy is better than this guy, right? 1905, like the the you know, wow. and and it's gotten, I mean, crazy. W- way nerdier now, right? <laughs> but what I'm able to do now is I'm able to start to, and I, I've, I've made a video this morning before we got on that I'm gonna put on Instagram today. Just by changing what this guy's drive leg does, we can change some of the metrics. And I'm starting to be able to couple the model mm. with metrics, which means I'm gonna be insufferable to the baseball community. Because yeah. <laughs> I knew I was right before, and now I can prove it, right? Data shouts loud, yeah. Oh yeah. man, it's it's so cool. Like like yesterday, in in. The guy that I'm working with, he doesn't like he doesn't have the thing that I'm looking for yet. He's getting close. Um, but when he even flirts with it, his his mile per hour goes up two to three miles an hour. And so there's this thing called spin efficiency, which means how efficient is the ball ball leaving his hand, right? And so this freaking ninety nine dollar ball can track this for us, right? It gives us not, it's craziness, right? Amazing. And it, 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 it attracts horizontal and vertical break the whole nine, right? So so just by keeping him close, close to what we're looking for, he, he went from like sitting somewhere between 85 and 87 miles an hour. His spin, spin efficiency was somewhere between like 84 and 89, which is not good. You want something, well, it's not bad, but it's not what he wants. And then just getting him close, pointing back out again, hey, look, we need that shin to be more vertical. He goes from 85 to 87 to 89 to 91 with a spin efficiency then of, you know, somewhere between 93 and 98. I, I mean, like, I, bananas, right? I mean, just like, yeah. so it's it's super cool. It's super cool. So, so okay. Amazing. Data. I, I have taken up a lot of your time, and um, I super appreciate it. So let's I, I super enjoyed it. Yeah, so let's do the uh, the Gary Ward. How do they find you? Pimp all the courses, the whole nine yards. Okay. <laughs> um, before I do, I think what I'd like to um, there's there's a thing that I've there's just been hovering around, um, and I think it, it it may or may not go back to that cookie cutter idea, but the um, the, the model that, that we've put together, mm-hmm. uh, we like to think of it as a toolbox. 
Um, and a toolbox is something that you put your tools in. Yes. So if you think of your massage therapy or your physiotherapy or your uh, whatever it is, yeah, it would go into this box that defines what human movement is. And, and, and the box can be used to help you recognize what areas of the body you want to be working on in order to help something begin to move. You might have to slow another part down. And often the bits that you need to work on are not the bits shouting loudest that are in pain. Um, and so it helps us to navi navigate that. Um, again, it's because we know that they're all, all moving evenly, they're all moving together, they're all moving through timings, um, and we can describe it through muscle load, we can describe it through joint motion, um, but it, it helps us, it really helps us to have a context for the person that we're working with. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and what it isn't dismissive of is anybody's, any of your tools. Right. You just took all them in there and you use whatever's appropriate at, at whatever time. But movement itself is also a tool. Um, and then the model itself will give you that kind of accuracy that you might be looking for in, in the movement context. And of course, movement, when I talk movement, we're not talking fast and we're not talking disorganized or we're not talking speed. Uh, I mentioned on a IGTV yesterday, it's not about ballistic. Right. It's actually slow and specific because you're looking to organize a huge amount of 33 joints in the foot, 36 in the leg, including the 33. Uh, 33, you know, in the spine, all yep. those joints, we don't just sync them all together. Yep. Um, and so in order to get them all together, in order to get, actually get that pelvis and ribcage separation, it, it's not going to be quick. Right. Because if, if you move the ribcage super quick to the left, pelvis is going to end up following. Yes. That's going to change that whole mechanic all the yes. way down the leg. So it has to be slow, has to be specific. That's really what, what we're doing. But the detail and the outcome, remember I said it's not about training harder on a on a limited structure yeah. is to give the structure its potential all the way back so that they, in essence, can, can train less or not even need to train at all because the, the, the very essence of what they do is, is in their system. It's locked in. Um, I often, like soccer players that I work with, they often say they, we don't, don't need to practice with a ball. Right. Just need the body to work well. Yes. Golfers don't need to swing a club. Yes. Uh, snooker players don't need to, you know, they, it, we just need to be comfortable doing it. Yes. And, and I think they've got themselves to such a level that it, it really is about that. And I think that I'd love that if, if that got adopted more, uh, you know, in the in the sports. Well, that's that for baseball. That's my goal. I mean, like that. So uh, when I look at because people have asked me as I've kind of gone along here already. And they're like, so do you want to do you want to get picked up by a team? And I'm like, no, I don't. Um, I traveled with a nationally competitive boys soccer team for three seasons for from 2008 to 2010, about five or six weekends of the year. Um, I was single then. Um, I like my wife a lot. Uh, I like my kid a lot. You know, like I have Gabe's 14. You know, he's going to be 18 soon. You know, like there, I have a finite amount of time, right? With, <laughs> yeah, with, with him as, yeah. a, as a as a as a young person, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, uh, it, but the the thing that that I look at is my the thing that I want to do is I want to expose uh, kids my son's age, and then kids that are college age or maybe even like minor league age, to this idea. Because the legacy that I mean, the legacy that you're leaving um, is not it. It's the model, but it's not the model. It's the experiences that you're giving all of us, right? And mm. so the legacy that I want for pitching nerd or this concept that will go a million different directions too, by the way. Um, 
but the, the the legacy I want for this is is I want in 20 years from now when kids my son's age are coaches they're starting to it's an organic it's an yeah. organic takeover right like yeah. we've given them so many experiences to do that and they see that you know well this is what was taught to me and then we looked at this and now all of this happened you know um so it's I my hope is that in in the baseball community at least with this conversation and the continuing conversations that I have and then the continuing conversations that I have about kind of pointing people back around to your work is that we can start to have that organic change start to happen because you're giving people the experience because that's the thing that that I took away from the the our courses and the thing that I loved about what you did was cuz that I know that from jujitsu right like a good session in jujitsu is a different experience, right? Yeah. And and so so I'm hoping that people can start to grab a hold of this your work, this idea, and then have these experiences for themselves because the, once you, once you see a different path, it's it's hard to ignore it now. Yeah, um, it's interesting hearing you say that. Our kind of teaching strapline has always been let the experience create the learning. Yep. And creating an environment where that 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 can be the thing, which is essentially what how it was born you yeah know, back to your earlier question yeah. it was just that, that when i do this and i try to do that that doesn't that doesn't go well together when i do this and i do that that's smooth that's yep. efficient um but so creating experiences and that going back to your kind of closing question that's what we've tried to do uh, in our courses over the years and now we're trying to get that idea across in our online work yeah so um to put a timestamp on this for future viewers, we're we're in the middle of COVID twenty twenty, COVID twenty nineteen twenty. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, coronavirus lockdown quarantine, and um, and actually, you know, my first thought, first couple of thoughts were, how do how are our students able to work remotely with people? Yeah, because the the, the biggest clarity came was was that movement in a way where you can describe it and detail it, keep it slow and specific and still find the right pieces of the puzzle can be, can be done remotely. Massage can't. Right. Uh, as, as, as two extremes. And so it became this, we started working with the community, as you know, to help this remote possibility kind yeah. of come more to life. Um, but also it brought about that idea that we actually currently don't know when we can travel again to begin teaching again. Sure. Uh, which also, interestingly, because you, you're talking about Gabe, but... It, that's time away like is it actually feasible that it can be done more effectively without having the travel and the damage to the environment and the cost and sure the, you know of course i've missed that and i've loved that and meeting people over the years but it's definitely a, a thing that's going there so but then you all you have also the opportunity to have both so the online education stuff is is being born um and uh also the we have and i've had it for a few years so not specifically COVID-19, but COVID-19 did give us the opportunity to release our Wake Your Feet Up program. Yep. So Wake Your Body Up program and Wake Your Feet Up program are both self-assessment programs coupled with movement corrections to help the self-assessments, coupled with integration uh, throughout the whole the whole chain. So you get to experience and actually people who are non-learned practitioners are also able to get the learning from Absolutely. the they're having. So some of the conversations that I have with people who are non-learned practitioners is, is in our AIM language. They're learning it, sure. they're adopting it, and they're taking the value on and forwards uh, with that, which is really quite humbling and, and, and you know, proud of, proud of that. 
Um, and certainly the results that people are able to turn around in their own backyard or front room, whichever yep. way you want to look at it, yep. versus actually going out and, and, and seeing people. Um, and that's because the, the real healing takes place inside you and you are the master of your own ship, yep. captain of your own ship. Um, and so um, these two programs, Wake Your Body Up and Wake Your Feet Up, are a wonderful experimental way, experiential way, for you to, to start getting into looking at your foot pressures, recognizing that what that might mean for your, your resting posture, starting to assess your resting posture, recognizing what that might mean for certain muscle tissues, start uh, looking at movement, what happens when I put this leg forward, that leg forward, and what happens when I speak to that egoless brain that yeah. we talked about earlier. Um, and then just letting your own body just navigate its system. Some people might have those one rep changes of life in the first time they view it, and other people might just need to stick at it for a while. But they, because they can see where it's going, I think they're valuing those assets quite quite highly. And the, um, the other thing with that too is like the cost of what you're you, allowing these people to experience it at is so ridiculously friendly. I mean, it is so... I mean, someone could come see me for 140 an hour and they could pay far less than that for the wake your feet up and wake your body up and have just these tremendous experiences. And I've viewed both of the courses there. And I mean, I've, I've taken your, I've taken the six day course twice and dove into the platform for hours and hours and hours and hours. And even after that, both of those courses, I looked at them and I was like, God, man, even after I've taken all of this material, there is still so much good material within these two simple introductory courses. So they're, they're fantastic courses, for, uh, and I highly recommend. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we're going to do with the online platform is we're going we're gonna to start to make it mandatory because I'm putting together an online platform, and that's going to be part of it. Like You have to get these two courses if you're going to really work with us. Because wow. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to, that, that will allow them to start to have the conversation and the language. That's yeah. going to make it much easier for me to, to talk with them about. Kind of the point, isn't it? A lot, and a lot of our practitioners will guide people to that so yeah. they know what they're getting into when they actually come. Because yeah. one, one set of expectations based on the last 50 years uh, versus, the, and this suddenly this new one, and also why I might have pain in my left ankle, which became left knee, which became left hip, and I'm going to look at your right ankle, yep. which doesn't hurt, right. by the way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And instead of you looking at me going, is he deaf? Like I said, left. Right. <laughs> right. I actually understand why he's doing it. Um, and so, yeah. And the and the price thing is 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 you know people just question it all the time. But the more people can do it, the more we reach. Yeah. You know, and, and touch into I don't know, one rep changes a life. If that's lots of people, we can help lots and lots of people. I don't want price to be a barrier. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't believe that, you know, all we've done is describe what joint surfaces are and what that means for human movement and uh, hopefully uh, many, many people. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, sadly, it's still not cheap enough for accessible in, in, in the really sure. unfortunate poverty-stricken countries or maybe sure. not poverty-stricken, but they just don't have the exchange rate or whatever. And uh, I yeah. recently had a conversation with a guy um and uh, in India, and I'd love to be, you know, just to be able to help out in those markets. So who knows if, if, what's going to happen with those prices? But they're probably not going to go up too much. Well, and um, and the more volume you can drive to it, too, the more that you can start to change the way that the the model overall is used to 
you know, I mean, you can, as you get more volume and you get more people on, on the course, then it makes it easier for you to say, well, you know, I mean, I might be able to help you out with a little bit of this, right? Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah. Um, so, so website, so you, Instagram, website, all the rest of that stuff. Website is www.findingcenter, and that's spelled the English way. C-E-N-T-R-E. So <laughs> yep. Uh, .co.uk yep. so the UK bit might remind you to check on the spelling of centre yeah. uh, and um, Instagram is at Gary Ward underscore AIM yep. uh, for Anatomy in Motion um, we're doing a lot more on there at the moment yeah. um, live talks and uh, answering questions for people um, which I'm kind of enjoying but if you go to the website and you go to the AIM education section you'll have a drop down and there'll be, there's also a section for everyone and also for professionals. Mm -hmm. So professionals is coaches, anybody mm -hmm. interested in the, the, the what we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. um, and there you'll find a third additional course, which is our first actual online education. Yeah, which is fantastic. <clears throat> Still about the experience, creating the learning. It's called Closed Chain Biomechanics of the Lower Limb. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and for it's £99, but it's your first introduction to start looking at the sequencing of movement from the foot all the way up to the pelvis and overlaying the tissues to get an idea of how the tissues are working yep. differently um, and that I hope will will start a an effect of building building people from the ground up so we'll we've still yet to film but we will be filming at some point the upper body oh, we'll that's be putting cool. the upper and the lower body together yeah. and and then you know starting to film things like assessment so it yeah. becomes really clear before we actually get into the gait cycle side yeah. of things um, so is it you know in essence quite a big program coming which will, will inevitably take time to produce but we have to take time if you if you learn the lower limb stuff and as you well know and this might be a nice thing for you to say but yep watching that thing once is not going to teach you uh, yeah. <laughs> no uh, and, and I think that's a hard thing for me to get across like and it, you know pay it once watch it once that that's not you done like you're gonna have to watch that thing a lot of times and the clarity of its appreciation and understanding is going to come over time not you, you love it now but you'll really really love it oh later. my gosh well again i've taken it within a six-month course i you know you and chris had the great misfortune of having me in class for 96 hours you know um <laughs> and then I, the the platform that you have for you know the professionals for i've weekly I spend you know 45 minutes to an hour a couple times a week often wow. on the platform um, just to look at stuff like old courses and all the rest of that stuff and then when you came out with a lower body course you know I had some friends of mine that took it and so they I wanted to understand kind of what they were coming into so then I could talk with them about it and help them with some of the stuff and I looked at it I was like oh good God, this is amazing. How is this another wrinkle of stuff? Like, you know, so, so yeah. And, and to be able to look at it again and again and again and again and again, um, is something that is you're, if it, as a coach, you're going to look at your guys throw a bunch of times you, there's a repetition, there's a value in looking at people do something a, a bunch of yeah. times, yeah, but there's also yeah. a value in repetition of, of educational material as well. So when you uh, when you get the upper body course done, 
Um, and we can obviously have another chat whenever you want to. I, I mean, I'm fine with that. But when you get the upper body course done, let's make sure that you that we have another chat about that, and we sure, can start to, to start to do that as well. Because um, again, you know, this is this is a lot of people's first introduction to you in the baseball community, and I'm and my hope is that it's not the last either, right? Mm. My hope is that they can see right. you a lot more. Thank you very much. Um, I just want to caveat because this is going out to lots of people to listen to. Sure. Um, that the online platform stuff that you mentioned yeah that, that's available to people who've been through the program and completed and fully rinsed so yes. just to make sure i don't get loads of e messages going yeah. how do i get on this platform it won't be available to the uh, people until they've, they've gone much further down the educational uh, yep. process with us but yep um apart cool. from that flawless <laughs> well i thank you so much for taking time and uh you know jockeying a little bit of scheduling to to get you on um it's it was funny when i when i thought about the podcast you were there was three people that i wanted to have on initially and then i don't know why like i lost track of you somehow um but i did and i was like because the pitching nerd origin story starts really with anatomy in motion but i didn't understand that it was going to happen until i got my first client and then i went to louisiana Right. So like there's this this kind of triad of 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 yeah. influences yeah. that I've had. And, and, you know, I want to make sure that I gave you lots of credit for the ability to, to for me to look through this lens in the model. So I appreciate you coming on. I will put all of Gary's info in the show notes um, and hopefully we can have him back on again for another, you know, great cup of tea or cup of coffee or whatever we have. <clears throat> I'll make sure I have a coffee next time. All right. You should get a couple extra, but. That is by far and away the longest podcast I've done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, this I, is... I this... Could, have, could have talked for hours. Thanks for listening to the Pitching Nerd Show. To grow the Pitching Nerd crew, do me a favor. Rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me to get to better guests and more opportunities for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you guys soon.